What does it mean to possess the virtue of humility? Two powerful voices from the tradition give us an answer. St. Bernard says humility is a virtue by which a man, knowing himself as he truly is, abases himself. And St. Thomas Aquinas says the virtue of humility consists in keeping oneself within one's own bounds, not reaching out to things above, but submitting to one's superior. The definition I was given in Catholic school, which has always been helpful to me, is humility is an honest assessment of oneself in relation to others. In other words, humility is being clear and objective about where I excel and where I struggle. If I am really good with helping people in grief, it's okay to say that, and then to offer this ministry to others. And if I struggle with anger, it is okay to be honest about that and to humble myself around those who are more virtuous than I am. Of course, every virtue lies between two extremes, and humility is no exception. On one extreme, we have pride. That is, the belief that I am perfect, or at least better than everyone around me. At the other extreme, we have abjection. That is, believing that I have nothing to offer, and that I am so much worse than everyone around me. So when Isaiah exclaims, Woe is me, I am doomed, for I am a man of unclean lips, living among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Is he displaying true humility? Or is this the extreme of abjection? And similarly with Peter, when he tells Jesus, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Is this the virtue of humility? Or is it too extreme? Let's start with Isaiah. He is in the presence of the Creator God, the one who holds the entire universe in being. And this Creator God is being manifested to Isaiah with as much pomp and glory as the human mind can handle, with thrones and angels and loud cries and earthquakes and smoke. Is there any way in which this God is not superior to Isaiah? Of course not. So Isaiah is right to feel humble and small. In fact, since God is infinitely greater than Isaiah in every way, Isaiah is right to feel infinitely humble and infinitely small in the presence of God, to the point of feeling like he should not exist at all. This is why Isaiah exclaims that he is doomed. God is so holy and we so unworthy that we are reduced to nothingness in his presence. The scene with Peter and Jesus is somewhat different, because while Jesus is certainly God, Jesus has also taken upon himself a human nature. There may very well have been aspects in which Peter was more skilled than Jesus, like in fishing or swordsmanship. 
So we would not say that Jesus, in his human nature, is infinitely better than Peter in every way. Peter is not doomed. And yet, Jesus is holy. Jesus follows his Father's will perfectly and excels in every virtue. When Jesus performs this miracle with the fish, he makes clear to Peter that he is a miracle worker and a prophet. In other words, that he is holy. So even if Peter might be the better fisherman, Peter realizes that in all the things that speak to the core of our existence, in matters of God and salvation, Jesus is the superior one to the extreme. So Peter feels unworthy to be in Jesus' presence. In both cases, Isaiah and Peter did not exaggerate. Their assessments were honest and accurate. In the presence of Almighty God, the creator of the universe, we are so small that we do not deserve even to exist. In the presence of Jesus, the Lamb of God and Savior of the world, we are so flawed that we are not worthy of his attention or his company. True humility knows that this is true. And yet, historical Christianity pushes back against fleeing from God. The Church has always been very clear, for example, that the Eucharist is intended to be received, not merely adored. And that we should follow Jesus' example in calling God our Father, a term which is far too familiar for the reality of his transcendence. And that, in Spanish, we should address God with the familiar two forms, and never the formal su or usted forms. I trust the Church, and I trust that this is how we ought to behave. But why? Why are we allowed to be so intimate with God when he is infinitely superior to us? Why are we allowed to ignore the humility that we know is proper? In short, we can only overcome the infinite gap between human and divine because God himself has chosen to ignore it. See, Isaiah and Peter were right. Isaiah should have been doomed, and Jesus should have abandoned Peter. And yet... An angel cleansed the lips of Isaiah so that God could call him to be a prophet. And Jesus called Peter to be an apostle despite his sinfulness. These men were not chosen by God because they were worthy of the roles given to them. Instead, their worth comes because they were chosen by God. Again, our humility forces us to admit that we are not worthy of God. But because humility is an honest assessment of reality, our humility also forces us to admit that God himself has chosen to overlook all of our unworthiness and has called each of us to intimacy with him anyway. As with the virtues, this idea lies between two extremes. The first extreme is to ignore God's choice 
and to return focus to our unworthiness. This extreme is found, for example, in the Jansenist theology of post-Reformation France and 19th century Ireland and America. Sure, this theology will admit the truths of the faith, that Jesus became man, dwelt among us, and gave us his presence in the Eucharist. But then this theology ignores all of that, telling us that we are unworthy of any of it, that we are only one step away from hell, that God would rather punish us than love us, and that the Eucharist is too holy to receive more than once a year. The second extreme is to overlook our unworthiness entirely, which is the modern tendency. Our contemporary world focuses heavily on human rights and human dignity, which is generally a very positive development in the history of the world. Unfortunately, this focus has been at the expense of the understanding that human beings are flawed and will always be flawed that there is no such thing as a perfect human or a perfect society. Theologically, this unworthiness, this ignorance of unworthiness, has resulted in the idea that we have a right to stand before God, that we have a right to be saved. But we don't. On our own merits, we are not worthy of God, and never will be. We wouldn't have been worthy of him in our creation, and we are even less worthy of him after our fall into sin. My friends, in all humility, none of us is worthy of God. But the crazy thing is that God doesn't care. He has chosen to love us intimately and individually, even if we are infinitesimally small compared to him. He has chosen to give us his own son so that we can be baptized into Jesus and made adopted sons and daughters of God Almighty. He has determined that if we desire it, we should live out all of eternity in the Trinitarian relationship of love. We may ourselves be unworthy, but in all humility we have to say, God has chosen us anyway, so we have all the worth we will ever need.